This is Jocko Underground Podcast, number 67, Echo Charles sitting across from me. So the expression, what do they say uh, about these expressions? The expression is, you are the average of the five people you hang around with the most. You, you know that expression? Yeah. Something along those lines. There's a couple different versions of it floating around, but it's common. And the reason it's common is because there's some level of truth to it. I think we can agree on that. Mm-hmm. And as I'm thinking through that, I think that I, I agree there is truth to it. And you can tell, uh, you know what you see, remember in high school and you'd see a kid start to hang around with a new group that he wasn't involved with before mm-hmm. and he starts to act like that group. Mm-hmm. Did your school have like the jocks, Yeah. the the whatever burnouts right yeah you probably had surfers yeah like so you so you got these groups and you could see a kid that was not in that group goes in that group and starts to become like that group so we've all seen that so there's there is a level of truth to this statement Mm -hmm. but it doesn't stop there because it's not just who we're hanging around with but what are we allowing into our heads yeah what are we allowing to get in there because at a minimum, we're highly influenced. I know that's a little bit of a weird way of saying it. Right? At a minimum, we're highly influenced. But at a minimum, we're definitely influenced by what we allow into our heads. What kind of music we're listening to, what kind of movies we're watching, what kind of social media, which is bizarre, because you can you can pull social media into your head all the time. And these things have a real impact on you. Music, for instance. Now we know I'm a big music fan. I'm a big music listener. Music can reduce anxiety. Music can reduce blood pressure. These are physiological things that can happen from music. Music can reduce pain. These are physiological things that can happen. Music can improve sleep quality. Music can improve mood. Music can improve mental alertness. Music can improve memory. These are not, I'm not just saying, oh, I think it does. No, it does. Hmm. There's also research that some music can increase aggressive thoughts. So if you listen to the kind of music I listen to, that makes sense. Maybe maybe it can. There's there's evidence that music encourages certain types of music encourage crime. <laughs> right? So there's good and bad going on, kind of like fire, mm. right? Fire can heat your house, it can burn your house to the ground. But it's something that we need to pay attention to. So, so we have to be selective as to what we allow to get in our head. And we have to be selective as to who we're going to hang around with. And we have to be selective as to what we listen to. We have to be selective as to what we read. We have to be selective as to what we're going to allow into our heads. You got to get rid of the junk at some point. And listen, you know, the, you have this argument. You can listen to, I listen to music with crazy lyrics, right? Mm-hmm. Crazy lyrics that never impacted me to do anything crazy. You know, whether it's uh, lyrics about, you know, antisocial lyrics, anti-government lyrics, uh, whatever, criminal, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There's lyrics and I go, oh, I love that song. I wasn't like, hey, I'm going to follow the political beliefs in this song, right? So I'm not saying you got to just not listen to anything, right? Mm -hmm. 
or you got to only listen to the stuff with the positive, but you got to pay attention to it. The, you got to increase the volume of constructive, pragmatic input to your brain, and you got to limit the volume of negative, harmful, adverse things that you allow in your brain. Now, I also think this. I think if you're paying attention to it, it's not gonna have that much of an impact. So if you're listening to some music that has real negative message to the lyrics, but you know that, Mm -hmm. I think you're gonna be okay. If you don't know that, or you're not paying attention to it, that's when it can catch you off guard. Same thing with social media. If you're watching social media or looking at social media with a a questioning eye, Mm -hmm. that's gonna be a lot better than if you're looking at it with an unquestioning eye. And what's really scary right now, obviously, is that algorithm, the way that thing works. It's looking to give you the short-term gratification. It's looking to put you into that echo chamber. It's it's what we need to pay attention to. So let's take the expression of you're the average of the five people you hang around with the most, which I think we can all anecdotally prove just from people you've known and you've watched them change. And if we pay attention to that and we see how it works, then we see that everything we let in our brain, if you're not paying attention to it, can move you. So watch out. Watch out. You listen to Ozzy Osbourne, yeah? Totally. So did you ever, there was like this conspiracy theory. Hold on, just just to make this clear. The band Black Sabbath that Ozzy Osbourne was the lead singer of is my favorite band of all time. <laughs> okay. And I've seen them in concert. I've listened to all of their albums, especially the years with Ozzy, and I still listen to them when they had Dio. But mm-hmm. yes, I am completely and utterly uh, engrossed in Black Sabbath, and I have been since a young child. Mm. And yes, I remember, I think so. I think we were going with Ozzy Osbourne got sued in the 80s. He had a song called Suicide Solution. Hmm. And uh, I don't have the, de- I don't remember the details, but he ended up going to court. But the weird thing about the song, the song wasn't saying suicide was a solution. It was actually not about that at all. You know, the the one of the lyrics, the famous lyrics is, Wine is fine, but whiskey's quicker. Suicide is slow with liquor, right? So mm. you're saying you're, if you're drinking, you're killing himself. And look, this is coming from a guy that had drug problems and alcohol problems. So mm. he was saying, I'm killing myself. Yeah. Not, I should kill myself. Yeah. Uh, so what were, you, what were you gonna say before I inter- interrupted you there? There was a conspiracy theory, um, and it might've just came out of this, that scenario, which I didn't know, did not know. Um, that if you played, I forget, I don't know what song, if you back play masking, it backwards. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's called like, backmasking. Yeah, oh, that's what, There's playing all kinds. Yeah, and it's not just Ozzy, there's all kinds of, and the Beatles actually had that. Let so me, Let me rephrase that. I'm pretty sure, because I used to play the Beatles records backwards looking for this stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. there's one that said Paul is dead, uh, stuff like that, yeah, that they yeah, backmask yeah. into the lyrics, yep. Yeah, they were like, oh yeah, you play Ozzy backwards, uh, and it's like, devil worship and then you end up killing yourself or something like yeah, that. I don't think that was a rumor at, yeah, yeah, at yeah. you know your high school or whatever. <laughs> it was straight up. Yeah. But but there there are but the Beatles definitely bask back mask. I'm saying definitely. I hate saying definitely. But I'm pretty sure that when I was a kid we played we played 
Beatles backwards and you just put it on the record and you use your finger yeah. to, pull, to to rotate it backwards yeah. and it would be like all is dead yeah, you know yeah, something yeah. like that which is just random stuff to put in there, there but it's is called back masking and yes it's a thing when you play it backwards that's when back you masking? Ma- when you put it in there oh you put some back masking messages in there oh when it's you called, record yeah, it yeah, or whatever yeah. oh okay damn see i didn't know that there there's a movie called the gate you mm-hmm. ever watch that movie no. boy it's back in those days mm-hmm. by the way where that was one of the like part of the premise of the movie, like if you played this one thing backwards, it opened the gate to hell. It's actually a pretty fun movie, nonetheless. Um, that so is this true about Ozzy Osbourne? Where at one of his concerts he bit the head off of a yes bat yes. was it yes. So that's true. Yep. Oh, he was psycho then. And what it was, I, there's there's a couple different versions of it. And again, I apologize, my memory's you know filled with half of the rumors and half of the lies and half of the truth whatever that's three halves I don't know if, how yeah. it's gonna turn oh, out yeah. but, three halves. but yeah because I heard him tell the story of he would they had like rubber bats or something mm. and he would bite the head off all the while like a big stage show but then at some point someone threw him a real one and, uh, and he also in a record label meeting Bit the head off of a dove, <laughs> off of a dove or something. Mm. I think I remember hearing that story as well. Oh yeah, but that's a wild guy, man. That's wild Dude. times. That is wild times, man. So, Black Sabbath, Ozzy, he, back in the day. Do you still listen to it? Ozzy has a song called "Ordinary Man." Yeah, it's pretty new, like mm-hmm. pretty new. When the last few is pretty solid. Oh yeah, they're great. I mean, I th- I think that Black Sabbath is the greatest rock and roll band of all time. What's the best song? <sighs> Crazy Train? No, that's not even Black Sabbath. That's Ozzy. No. Uh, th- just the entire first, like, five albums. Oh, damn. Yeah. Like that, huh? And there's very few bands that have made album after album after album that were all good, that were all awesome. Yeah. It's like you got Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, ACDC. Metallica, like they made, because a lot of bands make a good album, yeah, and then that's what they got, you know. And the other ones are okay. Sometimes the other ones aren't that good, but to come out with that many really great albums is difficult to do, and not many bands have pulled that off. Yeah, freaking Ozzy, um, the who you hang with or whatever, mm-hmm. and th- and that totally makes sense. Where even like you know how like you, I'll catch you talking pigeon every once in a while. Sometimes, yeah, and that's just so. <laughs> but it's like that. Even if it's, I mean, they say it's like the, just the small five. Kind of <laughs> small. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but even if you hang with one guy, you yeah. can. You'll probably like if you just do a small little inventory. Like you'll see like all the little things that you do like them now, yeah. kind of a thing, and vice versa. Yeah. So, bro, that makes total sense. A lot of people like to say the, um, you know, the cool catchphrases like, "Oh, show me your network, and I'll show you your net worth," or mm. like that kind of stuff, which. You know, I think I actually agree with you. I think there's some a lot of truth to it a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but it's it's you know it depends a lot of a lot of the time, especially the net worth part. But yeah, that's true. So be careful, right? What you put in your head. One time, I was hanging around with a a guy that I knew was friends with, part of my network. Mm-hmm. But I was still in the Navy, mm-hmm. and he was rolling in like a brand new Mercedes S class. AMG, like like a $250,000 car, maybe $200,000 car. Yeah. And I had a 1997 Dodge Grand Caravan. The window didn't work. Hell, yeah. So his net worth was, wasn't nothing to do with mine, bro. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, that can be real too, for but, sure. But hey, that's the way it works. But, but yeah, watch out. And, and the modern, um, another modern modern issue with what you let in your head, and it, you know, so essentially, it's like be careful what you let in your head. It's up to you what you let in your head. Mm-hmm. Where like, and you mentioned the algorithm, and I think that's a bigger thing than uh, sometimes than what people realize because like, if you're like, okay. Um, well, it depends on what you look at, but let's say you follow a certain person, mm-hmm. right? Where you're like, oh, I like what they have to say. I don't know, Jordan Peterson, or well, I don't know. You know, Andrew Tate is a hot one right now, whatever. So it doesn't matter who. I'm just saying, like, you start to, the algorithm would be like, oh, you like this guy? Oh, here's more from this yeah. guy. Here's more from this guy. And then instead of when you originally liked just what they said, you start to like the person now. Now it doesn't matter what they say. They can say some weird stuff. And you're just like, well, I like him. So, hell, yeah, that's me, too. You know, so you kind of sign on to all their stuff after a while. That can't happen. Yeah, you better be careful of that. You got to be careful. Like, But, yeah, how are you saying if, you, if you're if you always, like, what do you call it, a questioning? Always questioning? question. Yep. You know what? I think, so we made an album. Yeah. If you remember this, it was called Psychological Warfare. Yeah. And that album, really, a lot of people got it and still get it to this day. And what's interesting about that is, that's, a, that's, that's doing exactly what this is talking about, putting good thoughts into your head, Yeah. right? I'm gonna overcome this. Yeah, that's, that's, you can see why that album has been so popular, because people go, oh, if you listen to that when you wake up in the morning, that's the first thing that's in your head, and then you take the whole thing like we, we talked about on the machete season, mm the Machete Season podcast, where they talk about the power of radio and the power of spoken word and how there's no filter, it goes right into your brain. You don't need to convert anything. And that's what psychological warfare is. It's, it's, it's help people overcome those moments of weakness and help people stay on the path. Why is that? Because they're putting something into their head that's moving them in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, it's like helping in the real world. Yeah. So, like, but then you got to be careful because, like you just said, you can get on the gram oh and be like, "Oh, I'm gonna go get some positivity from the gram." Next thing you know, it's been 42 minutes, yep. and you haven't done shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so you're getting yeah. sucked in mm. to this crap. Yeah. When really you should be doing whatever you should be executing. Yeah, and this this one might kind of. It'll seem obvious when you say it, but here's how real like it can be where let's say this. And this is a common situation where you're like you're on the ground and you're like, yeah, I like positivity. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Hustle. Sleep when I'm dead or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like we're working yeah, hard. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what I'm down for that. Cost. So boom, you go on. It's just words. Oh, you, the Instagram's like, oh, you like that one? How about this one? Then it's like words. And then a guy like um, walking into his nice house. You're like, hell yeah. Like that's the lifestyle. Like hell yeah. And then now it's like guys in their cars and the girls and the parties. And, the, you know, it's like it shows a lot of lifestyle stuff right mm-hmm. now. Slowly but sh- but surely in your mind, this weird like image of the world starts to formulate because that's what you're letting Mm -hmm. into your head you know like that's what success looks like and if it's not this it ain't success then you go to the real world and you look in your driveway and you look at your you know scenario (laughs) (laughs) exactly right and you're kind of like oh man and then that depression will kind of kind of come in in a a small way here's the and then you know what's scary even scarier than that is you start seeing the guy in the lambo and you get a little satisfaction from that because he's kind of like a guy that kind of reminds you of what you could be if yeah, you yeah. were kind of got lucky a couple times and this guy yeah. and maybe you could do that someday and you get a little dopamine just from that. Mm. 
and then you scroll another one and there's a guy with a Ferrari and you're like, hell yeah. And so you're getting dopamine without actually doing anything. Yeah, free dopamine. Free dopamine. We've discussed this before. I've said this about, have you, okay, so you make videos, right? Yeah, sure. You get a certain level of gratification from making something. Mm-hmm. Someone builds a fence in their, in their yard. They yeah. get a certain level of gratification because you build something yeah. and it makes you feel good about it. You create something, it makes you feel good. You get dopamine from it. Mm-hmm. And even when you're doing something like a video, you're not getting much dopamine from each individual step of a video. You're getting a little bit, mm-hmm. but then you complete the project, you're like, hell yeah, I did this. Mm-hmm. Same thing when you build a fence in your yard, you're like, hell yeah, I did this. You can get that consumerism can lead to that too, where you think, I haven't built anything in a while, but if I click buy from Amazon and it shows up, I kind of get a very, like a, like a version of that. Oh yeah. There's yes, the, the thing is it's a it's a reward, but there's not much cost to the reward. So you just kind of it's like a real short term gratification. I ordered these shoes or whatever, yep. and you're kind of hyped about it, but the yep. hype doesn't last long. It's true, bro. Brad, so true. you got to watch out for that click button, buy me now or whatever it says on Amazon. Bro, I feel, I've I've I fall for that kind of stuff, mm. bro. From time to, I have like too many knives. In my house mm. from that very thing. Bro, you ever shop for knives on Amazon? No. You get the cool one, and then they're like, oh, you like that knife? What about yeah. this one? Well, fuck, I like that one too. So I wind up buying a bunch of knives. They read yes. you like an open book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Easy money for me. But um, I told you, dude, I'm the worst person to advertise to. If anyone's listening to this right now that that's trying to get in my head on the interwebs, putting pop-up ads about something mm-hmm. I search, don't try. It's a waste of your money. I'm yeah. not clicking, and I don't care. Dang, bro. So there um, you go. But that's a that's actually a, um, a not a new thing, the, the buying thing. Now it's online, so it is, mm. but then there's a word for it. It's called retail therapy. Yeah. You know, I like the girls are like, like two words, but, <laughs> but, but, but also I don't know, is that like, Compound word. I don't know if that's, you're saying there's a thing. Yeah. I, isn't that kind of a joke? Yeah, like the girls will be like, hey, I'm depressed. So I'm going to go shopping to yeah. make me feel better. Right. But it's the, literally the exact same thing. Because right. when you go shopping, you buy some new stuff. You don't even need it. But it's like, yeah, I got new stuff. Yeah. The dopamine, the dopamine, you know. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. But Retail now it's on therapy. Amazon. Yeah, it's true. All right. So watch what you're doing. Watch what you do. Pay attention. All right, let's get to some questions. First questions. Are some dreams just impossible? I'm 20 years old, and I'm a quitter. During high school, I stopped playing sports, stopped studying, and my grades suffered, and I finished with a 2.4. GPA. I did not go to college and I've been in the workforce for two years now. I'm sick of it. I'm done with working at a factory. Since I was a little kid, I knew I had a calling to do something big, something meaningful, meaningful per se. For some reason, becoming a neurosurgeon seemed to fit that bill perfectly. Standard required, the time devoted and research sought out requires four years for a bachelor's, four years for medical degree, and the longest residency period at seven plus years. I feel stupid for having this dream, this goal. I feel like I do not deserve to have this dream, and I'm not, and I, that I'm absolutely stupid to think I could become a neurosurgeon. Do you have any words of advice? Do you think some dreams are just too hard that eventually I'll hit a point and quit? If you have any advice for a long-time quitter, I would, it would be amazing to hear. Sincerely, long-time podcast listener. Well, first of all, I'd say go listen to the podcast that we did with uh, Andrew Huberman. Yeah. Because Andrew Huberman, by, this isn't me like making an accusation. By his own admission, he was kind of on a path to failure when he was in high school, when he graduated high school. 
it took him a little while to decide to get his act together and become disciplined. So he was, he was 29 years old by the time he got his PhD. And, th- and this is from a guy that started at some random community college. And actually that was after I think he went to, if I remember correctly, he went to UC Santa Barbara for like a year then it wasn't, he was being a disaster. Mm. And so then he went to a community college and picked up there and stayed there for a while and then carried on his career. But so where you're at right now, first of all, 20 years old, if I could be 20 years old and just got out of prison, I would take over the world. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like 20, you are 20 years old, dude. Um. So, next part of the course. So, so you the fact that you quit in the past has nothing to do with you quitting in the future if you don't want it to. Now, what is it here? The, the, do you have any advice? That's the first question. Do I have any advice? My advice, if you want to do it, then go do it. Stop talking, stop planning, stop dreaming, and do, go do it. If you want to do it, then you have to go do it. That's what, that's, what, that's what the answer is. And to think that you could not accomplish this, look, I don't know what your cognitive capacity is. You might not have the cognitive capacity to be able to do this. You might not be smart enough. I kind of doubt that that's true because I've known people that were not all that smart that went to medical school, right? So I don't think that that, that would happen. Could it be possible? It's possible, but I doubt it. Most likely you are capable. Most likely you are capable. So you should start, if this is what you wanna do, you should go, go and freaking get after it. Now your next question is, are some dreams just too hard? Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of dreams that are freaking too hard and they take a bunch of work. And if you don't really want it, it will not become a reality. That's the key component. You'll fail your, your college entrance exam, and so you'll just say, you know, to hell with it. Mm. When if you really want to do it, you'd be like, okay, I gotta study harder. And then you fail it again. And you're like, okay, I gotta study even harder. I gotta take some classes on this. And then you could pass it. And then you apply to schools and you don't get in any. Except for one that you didn't want to go to. So cool, you go to that one, and you up your grades, and then you transfer. Like all these things, these little obstacles you gotta overcome. That's what they are. So are there dreams that are just too hard? Yes, there are. But that doesn't mean you can't overcome those challenges. It just means how hard you're gonna have to work to get through them. The next part of the question is, um, will I eventually hit a point and quit? I don't know. I can tell you this, in SEAL training, like most things in life, most people do. Most people quit. That's what happens. Most people quit. And it's crazy to think about SEAL training. You enlist for six years of your life. Six years. You say, hey, I'm going to serve in the SEAL teams for six years. And you go and tell your parents, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And you tell your girlfriend, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And you tell all these people, all your friends, you're going to be a badass Navy SEAL. And you show up to Navy SEAL training. And day three, you freaking quit. And that's what happens to 80% of the people that commit six years of their lives. And they take the dream that they had and they throw it in the shit can. That's what happens. 
And I guarantee it happens with a lot of people that want to become neurosurgeons and a lot of people that want to go to medical school and a lot of people that want to go to college and a lot of people that want to get that become apprentice to be an electrician. What You pick the thing and there's going to be quitters. If you're asking if I think you'll quit, I have no freaking idea. I can tell you this. This is an interesting thing. I heard that there was a a master chief that would say to the young SEAL trainees that are in basic SEAL training, you know right now if you're going to make it or not. Only you know. (laughs) Which is a crazy thing to say. Mm. And it's probably true. Hmm. It's probably true. Because there's some kids that are like, hey, I don't fucking care what you do to me. I'm I'm not quitting. I'm going to make it. Mm. And it's really, I heard another thing recently. That there's like, in a class, 15% of the kids going through a SEAL class, you can't make them quit. They're not going to quit, no matter what you do. They're, ri- they're literally like, you can kill them. Yeah. <laughs> there's 15% that are going to quit no matter what. Like, they're just there, they're, they're there, and they're going to quit, and it doesn't matter. And then there's a bunch, what does that leave, 70% in the middle? My guess is it's probably a little more like 20% aren't going to quit. Maybe it's, well, I guess, no, it has to be a little bit less than that. So maybe it is. 10%, there's nothing you could do to them to make them quit. Mm. There's another 10% that probably aren't going to quit. There's probably 30% that are going to quit. Like as soon as it gets hard, 40% of them are going to quit. I mean, think about it. 80% of the freaking people quit. Mm. My point is, you're asking, are you going to quit or not? I don't know. You know. You don't, you you know, how hard is it going to be? How hard is it gonna be? If you commit to doing this and that's what you really wanna do and you're willing to sacrifice, it's there. I just did a podcast with Daryl Cooper and I made up a term, line of sacrifice. Hmm. So I was talking about the Ukrainians versus the Russians. And at a certain point, like at what point do the Russians say, we're not gonna sacrifice anymore? Hmm. We're not gonna lose any more of our kids to win a war in Ukraine. At what point are the Ukrainians willing to say that? And each one of them was gonna have a line where they say, we're not gonna cross that line. Mm-hmm. In the Vietnam War, we, we didn't know what the line for the Vietnamese was of how much they were willing to sacrifice. You know what? They didn't have one. They were willing to all die, basically, to, to overcome. We had a line. What was that line? 58,000. 58,000, we were like, okay, we're done with this. We're done, we're leaving. And the only way to figure out what that line is, is to fight. So, you have a line of sacrifice that you're willing to make. Different from what I just said about, hey, there's some guys that are never gonna quit. You could, they, they might not know that or not, mm. but you have to enter this realm to figure out what you're willing to sacrifice. Mm. Are you willing to study? Hey, you know, when I went to college, when I was going to college as a 28-year-old man, I would study sometimes eight, 10 hours a day on a Saturday, on a Sunday. I was willing to sacrifice that. Didn't meet, reach my line of sacrifice where I said, you know what, the hell with it, this isn't worth it. I didn't reach it. Mm-hmm. I was willing to sacrifice whatever it took to win. So you're gonna get to that point and you don't know where the line of sacrifice is. And where is that? And so, so I would think about that. 
If you wanna know where you're at, think about what the line of sacrifice is. Are you willing to sacrifice, I don't know, you ran the math, four plus four is eight years and seven years, so you're talking 15 years. Are you willing to sacrifice for 15 years to have accomplished this dream of being a neurosurgeon? If you really wanna be a neurosurgeon, cool, done deal. You'll go knock out those 15 years and it probably end up taking you an extra three years because life is rough. So that's 18 years. And at the end of 18 years, you're a neurosurgeon cutting open someone's brain. So will you quit? I don't know. You know. Where's your line of sacrifice? And then I guess the last thing was just says, do I have any advice for a longtime quitter? Yeah, don't quit. And that's a, by the way, that's a habit that is not there, there, it's not a it's not a binding habit that you're stuck in. Yeah. There's people, Mark Lee, Mikey Monsoor, went to basic SEAL training and quit and then came back and made it. So just because you quit in the past, bro, doesn't mean that you need to quit in the future. So, you have to think through this. Are you looking at 16, 17, 18 years of work and are you willing to go hard for that amount of time? And and by the way, this means you're not getting married, this means, I mean, most likely, because you don't have any way to pay for your wife, you don't have any way to pay for your kids. So a lot of time you might, you might be single and you're trying to pay for school, all this other stuff is going on. But if that's what you wanna do, you'll freaking do it. Now look, is it also possible to be like, hey, you know, I wanna be an astronaut. Cool, freaking good for you. Everybody wants to be an astronaut. I wanna be a rock star. Okay, cool, I, I really wanna be a rock star, mm. cool. Are you just saying this? Because you could just be saying this. It looks like a cool job, right? Be a neurosurgeon, get all this respect, get in the human brain. It seems cool. And a lot of people think being a SEAL seems cool and they enlist in the Navy and then they quit. So you gotta adjust this. You know, I don't even forget the phrase that, are some dreams just impossible? No, they're not impossible, but there might be too much sacrifice required for you. That's what could be happening. They're not impossible, otherwise no one would be a neurosurgeon. They're definitely not impossible. I mean, we had a, a astronaut on the podcast, applied 12 times to the program. 12 times he applied. Got shut down 11 times. Nope, 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 yes. Was that dream impossible? No, it was possible, but it took some freaking resilience. So, you know, the dream is not impossible, but you gotta be willing to sacrifice. The, the quitter thing, that's a good thing where you said it's not a binding. No. You know, that's not a life a sentence or whatever. I know a guy who straight up self-proclaimed quitter just like this. Mm -hmm. Like a, like in his mind, just told me this straight up. Mm -hmm. um, is currently a Navy SEAL, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't quit. Didn't even come close to quitting butts. But it, he quit quitting, essentially. Yeah. It's like kind of what he said where he was like, that one. I, I quit. I made bad decisions kind of on purpose, all this stuff. And, yeah, he was like, you know what? I'm tired of being a quitter, and this is what I'm going to do. And then chose to be a Navy SEAL, which mm -hmm. is not easy. Especially for a quitter, so, so yeah, like you said, like I know a big example like of that, because a lot of time that can be intimidating. Like, oh, I know how I am, you know, when things get hard, like I just quit, and that can like kind of scare you a little bit, you know, kind of force you into quitting, kind of yeah. psychologically. Hey, did you ever have a um, 
you know how you always wanted to be a commando of mm-hmm. some sort, mm-hmm. as you say. Uh, did you ever have like a different, not a different, but like a plan B or anything no. else rolling around in your head? No. Like, oh, maybe I want to be a freaking rock no. star. Nothing. No. Not even close. No. Skater. No. Guitar player. No. I mean, hey, I want to be a. Hey, I want to be a, a rock star. Cool. But that was sort of like, of course, you want to be a rock star. Of course, you want to be a freaking pro surfer from Maine. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you know, you want to be a rich CEO of something. I never really had that one too much. Yeah, I didn't know what that was. was Yeah, exactly. But... Yeah, so were there other ideas that kind of floated yeah. through? No, I mean like kind that were that, not even realistically. No. Yeah. Okay. That's what I mean. Like actually, realistically, like yeah. maybe like, hey, yeah, I might make a little run for this at whatever no. age. Yeah, that's interesting. No. Bro, you can be a pro surfer from Maine. Bro, you Rick Kane. Mm. You ever heard of Rick Kane? I knew you were going here. Oh yeah, Arizona. Yeah. More different than Maine. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Way more different. Anyway. Hey, Kelly saying. Slater's from Florida. Yeah, but okay. I mean, that's East Coast, you know. It's not exactly epic waves in Florida. Yeah, but it's about ocean. True. Arizona's not ocean, Hawaii. That's a movie, bro. (laughs) (laughs) It's real life, bro. In here, it's real life. Check. All right, next question. Uh, Next question. Okay. Hey, Jocko Echo. First off, thanks for making the podcast and the underground podcast. One thing I've never heard either of you talk about is meditation. I'm curious what both of you think about it. I practice Rinzai Zen and just got back from doing seven days of total silence and stillness. It's a lot harder than it sounds to be silent for 10 hours a day. Sit on the floor in total silence, stillness, stillness for six hours a day and do nothing else. Maybe Jocko gets all his meditation out, surfing, but but still I wonder what you think about, about mind training or ego deprivation like this. I know personally that meditation is where I learned how to detach. After hours of sitting absolutely still, feeling immense amount of pain, I'll just detach from that and sit with the pain. So what's the actual question here? What do you think about meditation? Uh, It seems cool. I haven't done it. Um, But I know that a lot of people that do, I know Tim Ferriss and Sam Harris have highly recommended it. And I deeply respect both those guys and their ideas and their you know the way they live their lives uh, i know sam harris he <laughs> i owe him two weeks and i've owed it to him since COVID. i owe him two weeks of meditation where i'm like trying whatever you know his meditation he's got an app hmm. called waking up and i owe him two weeks and then we're going to do a podcast about it but i haven't gotten it done the lack of discipline i believe sure. on my part yeah. But uh, as far as my thoughts on it, you know, just look, I don't sit here and say, oh, total, you know, seven days of silence and stillness, that sounds easy. I don't think that at all. Mm. I think it sounds like a gut check. So when he says it's a lot harder than it sounds to be silent for 10 hours a day, sit on the floor in total stillness, no, that sounds hard as hell to me. 10 hours, yeah. Especially the stillness. I don't mind being quiet. I can be quiet for a long time. I don't got to say nothing. But sitting still, probably in some uncomfortable position, because he mentions pain, which even you sit in any position, you're going to be in pain after a while. Yeah. Right? Sitting in a comfortable chair and you can't move, you're going to be uncomfortable after a while. You're going to be pissed. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it sounds easy at all. I think it sounds like a disciplined undertaking, which I think is good, and it probably would lead to discipline and focus in other areas. So good on you, man. 
you also might want to try some jujitsu and some surfing. Just saying, <laughs> just saying, because that might get you something too. So keep getting after it, bro. Nicely done. Next question. Uh, blue belt here. My dad, 55 years old, recently got into a motocross accident and broke his back. He's paralyzed from the chest down. He has developed a lot of other medical issues since the accident. He's trying to say, say very bleak and depressing things, suicidal things, without actually saying he's contemplating suicide. He's understandably very negative about everything and can't seem to see good in anything. It's hard to see things exactly from his perspective, although I know it's very difficult for him. He has Medicaid but does not qualify for Social Security or disability, so the family is helping a lot. I know he's lucky to be alive, and he's lucky he's still functionality. He has functionality of his arms. He's lucky he has family to take care of him. There's lots of things he can be thankful for. But since I'm not in this situation, I don't feel like I can say those things to him. What can I do to help change his perspective? Thanks. Well, man, well, sorry to hear that for sure. And I think the main thing to do with an indirect approach, because if you go direct at him, he's going to probably do what you're worried about, which is like you don't know what it's like, which is true. But I think the main thing to do is try and get him to focus on what he can do instead of on what he can't do, right? So there's obviously a bunch of things that he can't do anymore. So what can you do? Write, paint, play guitar, play piano, play most music, really. You can make videos, you can do video editing, you can do 3D art, 3D rendering, computer, there's like all these things that you can do. And on top of that, you can watch your family grow and succeed. And you can teach lessons and you can pass on knowledge. And that list of what you can do is actually even bigger than what I just said because then you can start doing things from an adapted perspective, right? So, you know, you're into motocross, cool. You can get a four by four side, uh, like a four, uh, a side by side four wheeler and you can go out in the desert and you can rip through the desert on that thing. You know, you get it adapted for just arm use, just arm controls. And then once you have that attitude, it opens up all kinds of things. You see people skiing, you see people hand cycling, you see people doing archery and shooting and working out and doing pull-ups and weightlifting. There's all kinds of things that people do. We have a friend named Max who's a chest down, paralyzed chest down, he does jujitsu. Travels the world doing jujitsu. Jujitsu, chest down, paralyzed. So there's an unlimited things, unlimited list of things that you can do, but you have to focus on what you can do, not on what you can't do. Uh, another good example, Ryan Job. Ryan Job, you know, blinded by after getting shot in the face, and yet he came home, worked out, got a, got married, got his degree, climbed Mount Rainier, rolled jujitsu, shot a bull elk, just all kinds of awesome, impressive things for any human. Never mind a blind, but just for any human, he was doing awesome stuff. Dan Knossen, who's been on the podcast. Yeah, lost both of his legs. What is he doing? Skiing, shooting, climbing, pull-ups, getting gold medals. 
so they're, though, these are guys that focus on what they could do, not on what they couldn't do. So to your question is like, what can you do? I, I think what I would do in this situation is I would get in the game with him, right? You know, hey, what can you do with him? What can, can you start playing guitar? Can you start, you know, saving up to get a side-by-side so you can take him out in the desert and do motocross in a side-by-side uh, vehicle? Get him into that. Do those things with him. Can you get a bow so you guys can start shooting a bow together? That's what I would do. And I would focus on like, hey, we can, we, what, what, what do you want to do? You want to go hang gliding? Cool. Let's figure this out. The adaptive athletes these days are doing just about everything. So that's what I would do. I would keep building that relationship. Let's figure out how to how to get him focused on what he can do. And you know the kind of stuff that he was into before. Like I said, he's into motocross. Cool. We're going to take him out to the desert. Um, whatever. Out, out in California, we go to the desert to do motocross and stuff. Cool. We're going to the desert. We're going or wherever you're going. Get that four by four, the side by side. He's 55 years old, man, has a ton left. Let's get him in the game, man. Let's get him in the game. All right, next question. Hello, underground. I was born and raised as a Jehovah's Witness, along with both sides of my parents' family. I love the religion growing up, except for the fact I couldn't join school sports. When I was 16, I chose to get baptized into the religion. When I was 20, I met my wife, who was not a Jehovah's Witness. The, they de- disfellowshipped me because of our relationship shortly after. I've now been shunned from my family and friends for six years now. I miss them, and I'm afraid I won't get to see my grandparents and mother before they pass away. I no longer believe in the religion, but to get unshunned by them i need to repent go to church for one year while still being shunned and say i believe again should i be proud of my independence or should i fake it until i make it to be accepted also i'm a much i'm much happier now and have found good a good community at a mma gym my wife is a beautiful and strong woman who i choose for a reason but i deeply miss my family when i think about them the only family i have is an amazing sister and aunt thank you jock for helping me Get after it and being a good role model. Hope to hear from you. Man, this is um, it's it's sad to hear this. Um, this does not seem. I don't, I don't. I'm not a professional, and I don't know very much about the Jehovah's Witness belief system. Uh, but this does not seem like an open-minded or forgiving attitude from your family, and that does not sit well with me at all. This is a bad sign. So if my parents were part of a group, or my family was part of a group, never mind the Jehovah's Witness, if they were part of a group in the world, and I, you know, they were coming to me and, and saying that I needed to do things in order to speak with them, this does not sit well with me. I don't like this at all. Um, so if I were in your shoes, here's what I would do. I would make every effort to build a relationship with my family. Well, not every effort. I would make every effort up to the point of crossing the line 
to do things like repenting against my will or going to church against my will or saying I believe against my will. And as you know, I am a very open-minded person and I will, I will put my ego in check and I will say I'm sorry and I will apologize when I do something wrong and I will put a relationship, I will put the relationship I have with people above my own, my own self-importance. But this is getting strange. I don't like this. Let me not say it's getting strange. I don't like this. These are, these are not, these are not things that a, a family should be doing to another member of their family. So I would not cross that line. Those are manipulative. Let me just be straight up. Those are manipulative actions to make you repent, to make you go to church, to make you say you believe in something that you don't believe in. Those are, those are not healthy. Those are not healthy things to do. Those are not forgiving things to do. Those are not accepting things to do. So, I wouldn't do them. What I would do, if I were in your shoes, is trying to build that relationship. How would I do it? I would write letters. I would send videos. I would send pictures. I would send explanations of my feelings. I would, I would communicate with them. And even if I was just, even if I never heard from them, even if I never heard from them, I would communicate to them and I would tell them what's going on in my life and I would tell them that I miss them and I would tell them that, you know, here's what my wife and I are doing now and here's what we're interested in and I hope all is well. And I would just keep that up. I would fulfill, and and again, this seems like the thing you won't hear me say very often, I would fulfill my part of the deal, my part of the relationship. Which is, which is gonna be hard and you might not make progress. You might make progress eventually, but you might not. But then you've got people that are choosing a group over their family, which to me, again, doesn't sit well. This doesn't sit well with me. And, and if you take a look, again, I don't, I'm, I don't know a lot about the Jehovah's Witnesses, but if you look at, if you Google it, there's resources for deprogramming from Jehovah's Witness. And that right there is an indication to me that there's some psychological warfare that takes place in trying to get people to return to their affiliation, to their, to their programming. And some of the methodologies, and again, uh, you know, just, just reading a little bit about it, they use guilt, they use blackmail, they use coercion, they use threatening speech, they use mental abuse, which is the kind of things you're indicating, by the way. Guilt to come back. Coercion to come back. Blackmail to come back. Those, those things don't sit well with me. So I think I would educate myself on the methodology that they utilize and try and work to reach out to my family to the best of my ability and hold up my side of the relationship and hope that they can see that that you as a son are worth and the relationship with you is worth more than they're making it worth.
Um, again, it's a, it's it's a very horrible situation to read about. But I don't like I don't like mind control, and that's what they're trying to do to you. I don't like coercion. That's what they're trying to do to you. This this does not sit well with me. Doesn't sit well with me at all. So be careful. But I think this is a one of the rare situations where you'll hear me saying that I would be very careful about crossing the line and doing things that are against my will, like repenting against my will. Those things, those things are not things are risky. You know, if you thought that you could do some of that in order to get back then, and then maybe you could you could influence them more. Is it worth it? By the way, you're dragging your wife into this too. Right now, you're dragging your wife into this scenario. Now you're dragging your wife, and she's got to repent, and she's got to say she believes in something that she doesn't believe in. This is not healthy. This is not healthy. And I would prioritize my wife. This is your wife, man. I would prioritize her over the family that is prioritizing their religion over you. I don't like that. So be careful. Yeah, rough one, huh? Yeah. Well, some some church like there are certain churches that are like they're hardcore like that mm-hmm. where they train the people to do that. Like, oh, if a oh, family member, totally. you know, like, fucking, what do they call it? Um, freaking, there's a word for it, right? When you leave or something. Yeah. It's like a leave. word for it. But if they do that or think about doing that, like, you do that, like, they train them to yeah. do that. It's part 100%. of the pro- protocol. Yep. Whew. I don't like it. No, 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 no. It's bad. Like how you say, it's literal cur- coercion, coercion. And it's the worst kind because it's not like, like, let me coerce, like, I don't know, some, you know, some some thing that you can get back or whatever. Yep. It's like your mind, like they're coro- like you got to say that you believe this thing. It's like yep. one of the most freedom, like one of the most fundamental freedom you have is like to think, or believe or whatever. Yep. And, and then your own family's coercing you with that, <laughs> bro. That's brutal. I don't like it, man. Next question. Echo I have two businesses and therefore two teams, six people per team. The first business team is made up of subcontractors who stay clean and paid very well choose their own schedule and have an interesting job etc the sec the second business is more labor intensive the employees get dirty they're paid significantly less work long hours at a boring task the second team has much better cohesion positivity professionalism and ambition whether you look at the teams as a whole or at individuals on the team I was expecting team one to be easy to manage and very motivated and I expected team two to require more of my time that's not what happened. The first thing I did was look at what I was doing because of extreme ownership and because I'm the only common link between the teams. I can't pinpoint what is different. Can you shed some light on why the team who has everything going for everything going for them is dysfunctional while I can trust the second team to do what they need to do with very little direction? I spent hundreds of hours training team one and only a handful of hours training team two. So I guess the problem is me. <laughs> Problem problems with team one are a little in fighting, lack of drive, in finding new clients, and reduced ab- availability and work hours. I feel like they have have it too easy. But how do I take ownership of that? Love the podcast, upload books. Thank you. Yeah, 
So adversity, when applied at the right amount in the right circumstances, brings cohesion and unity. That's that's what happens. So when you've got people that are working hard and they're in the muck and they've got labor to do, they, in the right cases, form a bond and they come together. That's what military training does. Military training takes a bunch of random people, puts them through hard situations together and they become bonded. And the more elite training you go through, the tighter the bond. So the harder stuff you go through, the tighter the bond. Now, good times or easy times brings complacency and people focus on the wrong things. So in this case, obviously, team two, the hard labor team, they have straightforward goals, they have tasks that need to get done, and, and they have to work together, I'm assuming, to accomplish these goals. So you have to work together to accomplish these goals. On the other side, uh, team one, well taken care of. They probably don't rely on each other as much because they're all contractors, right? Subcontractors, they're not even really part of the same team, they're just subcontractors. So they don't rely on each other to win, and yet they're taken care of pretty well. So what am I gonna do here? I would look to create goals, tasks, projects that team one has to work on together. With some way to unify that. Maybe it's a new compensation model or a restructuring that aligns the effort of the team towards a common goal. And that might be tricky because right now they seem like they're pretty entitled. Right, and when you start to take entitled people and start to take things away from them, it pisses them off. You take people that are not entitled, people that are working their ass off, and you start to give them entitlements, they're happy. They're happy like, oh, you gave me a raise, I'm happy. You take money, hey, if I take one person that's getting paid 17 bucks an hour, and one person that's getting paid 12 bucks an hour, and I remove $2 from the person that's making 17, they're pissed. Mm even though they're still making 15. Now the person that's making 12, I add $2, they're happy. Even though they're only making four, they're happier. So it can be hard to remove things. You're gonna have to be cautious in your manner of execution on this. But how can we get them in an organizational structure and in a compensation model that they're unified and working together? That's what my goal is. That's what I want. How can you put them on projects where they feel a sense of unified accomplishment? Even if it's just, okay, let's say these are all individual salespeople working together, or sorry, working separately. They're out on their own. Well, you can put together a goal that, hey, if the team gets to here, here's what we're gonna do. And that hopefully will start to bring them together. Now look, there are salespeople that don't give a shit. Like, I don't care what freaking Echo's doing. I'm getting, I'm getting my, I'm getting my percentage. I'm getting my cut. I don't care. I'm not gonna. I'm not over here to help Echo. So that's why you got to put something real behind it. Hey, if if we reach this goal, everyone's gonna get an extra two percent or whatever. If we reach this goal, we're gonna buy a new freaking uh, office coffee machine. So we're all gonna be. We're all gonna benefit. Whatever. You got to figure that out. But putting challenges towards people is what unified. Matter of fact, you know, that's what in boot camp, everyone hates the drill instructor, right? In the beginning, the drill instructors want you to hate them because it brings the team together. So let's find a way to give these people on team one 
a common unified goal that they can work towards because that is what will start to unify them. Have fun. It's a good one. It's a good one. Happens a lot. Happens a lot of different businesses out there. Um, All right. So with that, everybody, thanks for joining. Thanks for supporting the cause. You know where to get the stuff. Jocko.com. That's really all I need to say. Jocko.com. Go there. You want to support? Go there. Go to Jocko.com. Support. We appreciate it. As you can see, there's wildness going on in the world right now. Wildness. People are wild. People are crazy. Yes, sir. We don't know what's going to happen, but we do know this. We'll be here. Thanks to your support on the underground. We'll be getting after it. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko.